Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fine episode of Live from the Blue Seats. Different sound here today. My name is producer JL, joining the program as always. Rob and Becky, they are not with us today. They are currently climbing the Himalayas with uh, their uh, family. Uh, Dave has all the details. I'm sorry, they're what now? <laughs> they're climbing the Himalayas. <laughs> no. I must have missed an entire conversation I had with them. Cause... No, 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 no. No, Rob and Becky are off this week. You know, they're getting a well-deserved rest from life and all that. So me, JL, producer JL are here. We've got Nick, who is, I think, is making his first appearance on the podcast this season. Nick, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be back, and- boys. And we're also joined by Mr. David himself, the man who tweets things and allows me to write articles. Dave, how the heck are you tonight? As per usual, I'm tired. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but I'm also old, as you keep reminding me, J.L. Oh, stop. Get a, get oh, don't, oh, stop me. <laughs> get a grip, old man. Anyways. All right. So, <laughs> so let's jump right into it because we do have a lot to talk about today. So... Guys, the Rangers are an absolute wagon. So with at least that's what I think. So currently the Rangers sit at 16-4 and 1 as of this recording. 16-4 and 1 with 33 points that currently leads the Metro and I'm going to say that also leads the league as we currently record this. The Rangers are currently 3-1 in uh either 9-2 and 1 or 3-1 and 0 at home, but they have a really good record. They improved to 7-1 and 2 in their last 10 games. Uh, against the Red Wings with their win. And they're just absolutely killing it right now. They've had a couple of good wins against the Bruins, the Devils, and the Flyers. And you look at the way the team is, and you see how they're playing on the ice and how they're able to respond to adversity. I don't think they've lost two in a row at all this season. So the question that I'll pose to you uh, boys here, and we'll jump right into it, is... So we've seen many Ranger teams in the past... Uh, come on really good hot streaks, but the trend from those teams in different seasons and even last season was that the numbers and the um, the wins that are coming from these streaks are not sustainable. So let's start with Dave first. So um, if you've, you know, just kind of give us your thoughts on the last couple of, you know, big wins they've had against, you know, the Penguins, the Flyers and the Devils, even the Bruins. And is their play sustainable whether it's on an analytical level or even just from an eye test, are the Rangers the real deal? And is this sustainable? So to answer that first question, is this sustainable? The answer is unequivocally yes. And there will be people that look at the expected goal shares or the shot shares or even high danger shots. And I'm going off of natural stat trick here. And the Rangers are at best middle of the road for their season-long numbers. And they're going to look at that and say, nah, they're not for real. They're going to come crashing down. But something that Steve Valaket put in an interview, and it was put into the group chat. I'm drawing a blank on where the interview was. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, And he said, basically, on a game-by-game basis, the Rangers have won the high-danger battle in all but, I think, five games 
or six mm-hmm. games. And in those six games where they did not win, they only won two of those games. And the games where they won the high danger chance battle, they've won every single one of them. Mm. And the odd thing, and what really piqued my interest from that is he's not just looking at it from a season long standpoint, because over the course of an 82 game season, yeah, things will eventually even out, but this early in the season, you know, we're at what 20 something games will still have those outliers where say the Rangers absolutely crushed the team or got absolutely crushed and it'll skew a lot. So looking at it from a game-by-game basis, saying, okay, when they win the high-danger chance battle, they're winning games, and they're doing so with such structure on defense where they're just forcing everybody to the outside. And, yeah, Vigor Shesterkin in net, he's not going to allow many goals from the outside, outside the home plate area. You know, clean looks are obviously going to beat him every now and then, and we've seen that. He hasn't been what we've come to expect from Igor Shesterkin yet this season. Just the way they're playing, they don't back down from a loss. They don't back down from adversity, as seen by the 1,700 goals that have come back against them because, I don't know, somebody was a quarter of an inch off sides. Uh, I don't know. It, it just or the seems that completely crossed the goal line against the, who was it? Uh, who was that against Columbus? Oh, yeah. yeah meanwhile, the camera angle shows the puck crossed the fucking goal line. Ridiculous. Jesus. Yeah. So all of this, you know, they have actual structure. They have a very sound game plan into each opponent. They're clogging the neutral zone. There's not many rush chances against. All of it is just pointing to the Rangers being for real, being able to sustain this and being built for the playoffs. They can score and win games in many different ways. They're shutting down every team they play so far for the most part. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they have a clunker here and there, but I'm throwing my hands up in the air, trying to think of a negative right now. And the negative is injuries. Really hard to find, honestly, if you think about it. Injuries. I mean, somebody has got it. Can they stay healthy for more than like four games in a row or something? But that's really it. (laughs) Oh, I'll give you a negative. I got one. I got one. Not enough secondary scoring. That's because half the lineup's out. Okay. Well, All right. Fair. So, so before we get to that, let 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 let's get Nick's thoughts on this. So, Dave obviously put it, you know, very eloquently that it is pretty sustainable. Nick, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I'm I'm a hundred percent locked up. I, I I think this is probably the most sustainable winning Rangers team I've seen in probably the last fifteen years, because they're not. This is not okay. We're we're only going to be able to beat you on the power play. Or we're gonna need stellar goalie goaltending to drag us kicking and screaming to the playoffs. This is if you want to look at it. I mean, Igor really hasn't been Igor, and we haven't needed him to be. And that's the the beautiful part. Like this, this has been you know the last couple of years. It was always well, we really can't score five on five, so we need you know we need our special teams to really save the day. And if our special teams don't, we're screwed. Like this has been. This has probably been one of the more fun Ranger teams too, just because they do have structure. And they and the biggest thing for me is that they believe in that structure. You know, the game against the Red Wings on, on Wednesday night, that was a game that I think last year they a hundred percent lose. 
and not only do they right. lose by not only a goal, that game gets ugly in the third period and it gets away mm-hmm. from them. Yep. So it's it, it's one of those things when you hear the guys come out and talk about, you know, we really believe in our structure. They they actually have a firm identity. When you talk about toughness, this team actually is tough. They are super mentally tough because they are going through adversity early in the season. And that's something like last year with the, with the Bruins. The Bruins were so great and everything came so easy to them. There's a reason why they got bounced in the first round of the playoffs because the first time they got punched in the mouth, they had no idea how to adjust. So right. there are going to be way too many people that take this figurative, sorry, that take this literally where, you know, toughness is fighting, toughness is hitting. And, and they keep me honest, I think you're saying that the Rangers are tough to play against. And yeah, they're going to, they're not going to back down from a fight or a challenge as we've seen with Truba and with Goodrow. But they're very tough to play against, and they're mentally tough to get past all this adversity they've had to start the year. And 100%. I think that's the big difference this year. Hundred percent, and that and that's that to me is is the best thing about this team is that they are mentally tough because you know you hear all the time with you know the cliches of being battle tested and you know mentally tough and mentally strong. I mean, when you're down the second best defenseman in the NHL for 10 games and you have best one, defenseman, best defenseman. Well, I, I'm going to be fair to the Cal McCarr stands, but I, I, you know, I, I love Cal. McCarr. I see the point. He, he, I fantastic. see the point. I disagree. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I, I mean, if, if we're fair, it's, you know, it's chocolate and vanilla. It's one, a, you know, one and one, a. One A, one B. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh boy, oh Hold boy! You've got a gripe. That chocolate and vanilla are on the same level. Well, no, 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 no. It's like you know, some people love chocolate, some people love vanilla. It's Coke versus but Pepsi. But they're both equally good, though. Unless exactly. you think otherwise, it's a, Dave. It's a thousand percent <laughs> false. Chocolate <laughs> is by far the superior ice cream and flavor in everything. Oh, okay, oh, I oh, I disagree, but that this is not a this is not a food tasting podcast. We'll save that for the for the <laughs> well, chat. That, so. that, there there's the Fox versus McCarr debate right there. There you go. Right. Well, there you go. There you go. See, it, it's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a hockey argument in a microcosm. But to touch on to touch on both of what you're saying. So obviously, like you guys said, and I agree with your points. You know, wholeheartedly that they definitely have you know it's not just the hitting it's not just the fighting it's not just the grinding it out in the hits as these guys are really battle tested and it's been a long time since we've seen a team with this kind of determination honestly the last time i can honestly remember seeing a ranger team this determined at least in the terms of being able to punch back was the John Tortorella era. Now you can probably say maybe the tail end of David Quinn's first season right before the pandemic hit. And they were, I think they were on like a 10 game heater at the time and they wouldn't be deterred by anybody, but that seemed more dumb luck than anything. uh, Even though there was a lot of talent there. Um, So I'll pose this question to you guys and then we'll, we'll, we'll discuss uh, injuries and players. Uh, It's filling out certain roles on the team. So now obviously we know Peter Laviolette and his system has had, you know, a big impact, but how much do you think it really is, you know, that implementation of a system and Laviolette's uh, coaching? Cause you know, you're going from a guy like Gerard Gallant, who, you know, a, a lot of people posted this on Twitter, but it's, it's a very common thought. You know, we always tried to question, you know, what exactly was wrong with this team? Cause they, it's not like they didn't get any skill, you know, the people that they brought onto this team, like a Panarin, like a Lafreniere, like a Truba, 
you know, like a Miller, all these guys, you know, were pretty much underperforming at one point of another. And, and even like a Kako, you know, they weren't doing anything. And, you know, even though Kako's season now wasn't as stellar, he was still showing some signs of life at certain points of the season. You wonder what exactly, you know, what, what was Gerard Gallant doing? Was he just, I, I tweeted this out. Was he just a guy there? Like, what were they thinking? Like, how are you even in the NHL and you don't have any system? So I'll, I'll press this to you guys. Um, you know, obviously you have guys like um, Dan Muse, uh, Phil Housley, Christian Hamura, um, and Michael Pekka, uh, you know, on the staff, basically helping out. How much of what we're seeing here is an influence from the new set of coaches and how much of it is the actual talent? And before you answer that question, I'll say this. I did notice something, too, that you could probably guys could allude to as well. Uh Probably Michael Pekka has sort of an influence on this, being that he was a center, and maybe Christian Hermura as well. Um, if you notice, the Rangers, when they take faceoffs in certain parts of the offensive zone or even defensive zone, they're actually winning faceoffs, you know, in a very ambidextrous way. They most of the guys on the team, including like Vincent Trocheck, have been winning faceoffs on their opposite hand. Now that's not something new. This has been done in the NHL for a very long time, but. We haven't really seen the Rangers do this themselves. I think the last time the Rangers really had a strong faceoff percentage was, what, 2013, maybe? When they had brought in, like, Mark Messier or 2012, you know, when Brad Richards was still here. So how much of this success is part of the influence that LaViolette is bringing on the team? And how much of it is the players themselves? And I, we'll start with Nick. Nick, what do you think? Oh, for me, it's a hundred percent coaching, because when when you look at the roster this year as opposed to last year, it's not very different. There there are definitely a, you know a couple differences. I think Jury did a better job this offseason of rounding out the edges of the roster, which wasn't there last year. But the overall, it's it's one of those things where you know Gallant last year was talking about you know at the deadline how he wanted four checkers how, you know, this team needed to be grittier and harder to play against. Well, with virtually the same roster, we're actually seeing a team that's forechecking. You have Artemi mm -hmm. Panarin not only forechecking, but backchecking. He's backchecking, right. So it's like... And it's not just because he shaved his head. Right. No. So, it's, you know, it, so for me, it's, <laughs> right. it, it, it's all 100% coaching. It's be it's relatability. It's having your pulse. It's having the pulse of your roster. It's not being hands-off. I mean, there are times to be hands-off and where you got to let guys go, but it's LaViolette talking to these guys and treating them, you know, as people, not just players. And mm -hmm. I think you're really seeing that approach. The players are more open to what he's saying. And then when you look at his staff, it's a lot of guys who have develop developmental backgrounds. Mm -hmm. You have guys who were coaches in junior. So it's like you have coaches who have been around younger players who understand how to coach this generation. So I, I just think it's it's having a way more well thought and thoughtful approach than just being an old school players coach. I'm going to come in and not really do much and let the players police the locker room because at the end of the day, players still need structure. They still need coaching, you know, but you also have to be smart enough when to know when to back off the reins. And I think LaViolette has done that really well so far through the early part of the season. Right. Oh. And before oh, I shit. get to we have Dave, goalie I goal wanna... in the NHL. Oh, we do. Oh. Yeah, is that Tristan Jari? Was it Pittsburgh? Yeah. Oh. 
Okay. Sorry to cut off <laughs> the entire. <laughs> well, no, no, that's okay. No, because we're gonna see it eventually. I, I have right now. Um, we're recording. I have the the uh, Devils uh, Flyers game on. Um, but just to add to your point, Nick, before uh, we go to Dave uh, on that, um, you mentioned the roster. It's funny because you know, um, I personally think that the way that the roster was constructed this off season was exactly what Drury wanted to do at the deadline last year, and I think he was really looking to try and supplement Tarasenko with a player like a Nick Benino. Probably it wasn't going to be Nick Benino exactly because I think he was at Pittsburgh at the time, but I think they were going to probably get like a Nola Chari or you know Sam Lafferty, who uh, you know Suit was really big on, and I actually was kind of in agreement with that. So. I now, think Nick Buke said. I think that's who we wanted. I, that's well, I would, I really, well, I would have taken it too. So, but I, I think Drury finally now, you know, without you know the player who I won't name, who just signed with <laughs> Detroit, um, you know, we, you know, we're getting that similar production like from like what Tarasenko brought from Lafreniere, and and we're really beginning to see you know how things are. So, Dave, what are your thoughts? Are is coaching a really big hand in this, and how much of it is the coaching, and how much of it is the players? So I'd say 90% coaching and it's everything that Nick just said. It's the structure. It's treating the players like actual human beings. It's actually enforcing a game plan, adjusting mid game, letting players ride out slumps on the same lines, not blowing everything up on a regular basis, giving the kids more minutes, actually using a, a rotation at even strength where you're not just rolling four lines and you're not just putting the fourth line out there in the offensive zone. How many times we saw Ryan Reeves take an offensive zone oh, draw, geez. not draw. And you, you, I know for a fact zone. that you had been talking about that for some time. And, you know, I have only been here for just about a year and I already know that that's what you were talking about. A lot was that Gallant doesn't really do matchups. He just throws lines oh, out there. The, the fucking asshole goes in and he says, we're going to have roles. We're going to have this. Every player is going to have a role. And he goes and puts Ryan Reeves out in the, in the offensive zone. And listen, I love Ryan Reeves. I absolutely, Absolutely loved him as a ranger. He was not yeah, good on the too. ice, but I loved him as a ranger. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no fucking reason why he should be in the offensive zone at all, ever. Absolutely. And Gallant did a bait and switch on us, not only on the pronunciation of his name, but on how he deployed <laughs> everything with the Rangers. There was no structure. There was there were no roles. There was no actual development. He just sat there with a thumb up his ass. And I'm really disappointed in how he approach the Rangers. He said, oh, I have all this star power. They can just figure it out. No, they can't figure it out. That's why they were one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Mm -hmm. Now we actually have structure. We have a, an actual skills coach, be it Pekka or Hamura, who's teaching these guys how to take faceoffs. This, these are the same guys that they had last year who were what a forty-five percent offensive, forty-five percent faceoff team. Now they're fifty-six. Yeah, no, it was it wasn't it was probably just a maybe just over forty, not even yeah. forty-five. Probably close to forty-one, if I remember correctly. And listen, age plays a role in face-offs. If you look historically, players get better with face-offs as they age, but you don't go from forty-one percent to fifty-six percent because you got a year older. No, but that's not how that works. Ninety-five, ninety to ninety-five percent of this is coaching. 
And the other bit is the players actually being engaged, buying into what the coach is saying, and actually caring. And mm-hmm. I'm pointing that almost entirely at Alexi Lafreniere, and that is wildly unfair. I'm aware of that. But he's the one that sticks out in my mind where he just looks faster. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about speed. His decision-making is there. His comfort level is there. His confidence is there. And it's not just laugh. I just happen to be picking on him. They're all... I would say Panarin, just... too. I think Panarin's there. Panarin, yeah. no. Panarin right is definitely yeah, a Panarin benefactor too. of this. Panarin, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And it's just... When it's the same guys, and the only thing that's changed is the coaching... You can't look at that objectively and say, oh, the coaches had no impact on this. It's all the players. No, it's mostly the coaches. And I know very few people actually wanted Laviolette. I know I didn't. And then the more after he was hired, the more you read into what he was doing, why it didn't work in Washington, you're like, okay, maybe he actually is the right coach for this team. It's not about finding the best coach. It's about finding the right coach. The right coach. Mike Keenan right. was right for the 94 Rangers. Maybe Laviolette is right for the 2023, 2024. Oh, my God. It's going to be 2024 soon. 2024 <laughs> Rangers. Right. No, I, I agree with that 100%. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, LaViolette wasn't my first choice. We had a whole podcast about this, too. I think that was probably one of the final ones that we had right before we ended for, you know, the summer break was basically trying to narrow down, you know, what candidate would be good for this team. And clearly, you know, we're not in, you know, the front office of the Rangers, so we don't know. Ex- we can only speculate because we're only just merely fans and observers. So, you know, my first choice I remember was, you know, um, was uh mike sullivan but obviously he was still under contract for the pittsburgh penguins and they weren't just going to let him go you know and then you find out fenway sports group wants to keep him around you know for the gm search and whatever so you know what you know i i you know like you said the more you read on la violette the more that you began to see and one of the things that stands out and then we'll move on to um we'll move on to um players and and injuries and possible secondary scoring replacements um you know yeah, I think he had an assistant named uh, Kevin McCarthy that he would bring with him, LaViolette. Oh, yeah, I and forgot about th- this. This time around, he did not bring him aboard because yep. I think and 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 I and I mentioned this about John Tortorella too, where you know there are certain few coaches who are kind of you know I guess you would want to say old school that you know seemingly you know don't transition well. Like my Mike Babcock's one of them. You know Bruce Boudreaux's another. Uh, Gerard Gallant, perfect example of that, of coaches who don't exactly adjust, you know, how, you know, how John Hines still has a job is, you know, beyond me or how people still want to hire him. But anyways, so you look at a guy like a Laviolette, he didn't make the same mistake this time. I think he worked with Chris Drury and they both collaborated on the coaching staff and what was best for this team. And I think, you know, that McCarthy guy, no, no insult to him, but it just kind of seemed like that was kind of the recurring theme. And obviously Laviolette, you know, probably himself, you know, changed his ways a little bit, but it seems like the core part of his, you know, coaching is still kind of there. So with that being said, so now obviously we talked about injuries and, you know, we discussed, you know, having such a good record and basically not having your best defenseman and your, you know, your number two center. 
And now on um, we're recording this on on uh, Thursday, so the Monday game against the Buffalo Sabers, Capo Caco, who you know some people won't call it a slew foot. I think it was. I was in the arena. It looked like he did. It just moved really fast. But Capo Caco's out for a very long time, and now you have you know Johnny Brodzinski is kind of in that role, you know, with Cooley and with Benino. So now the question is, and and I'll push it. I'll, I'll push this to Dave first. Is what do the Rangers do with secondary scoring? Now, obviously, you have Jimmy VC that could possibly be a, a potential, you know, uh, you know, potential option for you know a bigger role scoring wise. But now that Capo Caca was out for an extended period of time, and I'll even mention Filipito because you know he's coming back from a head injury, and I think is not his first rodeo with concussions, unfortunately, so he won't be the same. So what do you think the Rangers should do? Should they go and find someone externally or do they reach into the annals of Hartford and look for someone like a Berard or like an Othman? What, what do you think that they should go that way or maybe do something else? What do you think? They don't really have much of a choice right now. They have to ride it out with internal options. They have $114,000 in cap space. Wow. That so, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. They realize that, that that's tight. the cap space and long-term LTIR really kind of clouds all of this because Heedles on LTIR, um, Kako's there. Heedles eventually going to come off, so they're going to wind up with about two point one million in cap space. And it doesn't accrue does. like normal. No, it doesn't. As long as they're no. using. LTIR overages, they can't accrue cap space. So that hundred and fourteen thousand dollars, sorry, it's one hundred and twelve, and it becomes one hundred and fourteen at the deadline, I think. Yeah. Um. Again, long LTIR kind of you know fucks with the clarity here. Yeah. Assuming Kako's done until at least the playoffs, which it really sounded like that. Then there's no cap in the playoffs. It doesn't matter. But you have to go out. You have to get a scoring winger at the very least, assuming Kako's out long-term. They haven't given us an update on that. No. Heedle, you have to plan for him being back and being in a secondary scoring role. Him, Cooley, and what would have been Kako would have been a great line. I would have loved to see that. Line. Oh, yeah. No, that would have that, – that would, I would have – I was waiting for it. But I'd love to see those two with Blake Wheeler – and you go get like maybe a Tarasenko, maybe I know Tyler is all over Yanni Gord. Yanni Gord, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, if it's if they're looking for just a winger and not a not flexibility, Tyler's on the right team, but the wrong player. Jordan oh, Everett is yeah, the guy you want. I like that actually. That's actually a pretty good option. Nick, what are your thoughts? I'm all aboard the fill the throw train. Oh God! Get, get me Phil on a veteran minimum contract. It's not a bad idea either. I, I wouldn't be and against. It's, it's not a bad idea. It's really not. He's an absolute <laughs> finisher, and if he's I playing know. with the right guys, if he's playing in the right spot, he doesn't need to be a play driver. He can no. just be there and just fire pucks at the net. I hate that it makes sense. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I would honestly play him on the line with Panarin personally. 
I'm not breaking that lineup. What are you high? Well, no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, theoretically, like if you move Lafreniere up, I would like that would be I would put Phil on the second line. But I oh, mean, fair. If you can, that's fair. If, if you could slot Kessel in on the third line, I mean, it, it's kind of reminiscent of the HBK line in Pittsburgh. Not I don't ex- know why I thought you meant Shawn Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, this I need sleep, guys. I don't I, sleep. All right. <laughs> I really am. I really am big on either adding Phil Kessel because you're using nothing but cap space at that point, mm-hmm. yeah, or and you're not moving assets, or if you're dead set on looking to make a trade, somehow if you can get creative. Maybe, and I know Vancouver was looking to move him before the season. I don't know if they still are, but my guy would be Connor Garland. Ooh. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be a bad idea. But I think just with the way Vancouver has played over the last couple of weeks, and they just added Zadorov yeah, of the they just added, this yeah. recording, that, you know, that, I don't think they're going to move him anytime soon. That's the also advantage. sorry, R- right team, wrong player, Brock Besser. That that was my other one. Not a bad he idea. Makes, he makes too much money. That right. would definitely be a no. How much does he make? Garland I mean, has a bunch of years left. I thought Besser. I want to say well, Besser I thought Besser was least, a pending free agent. I want to say Besser's at least at four, though. Oh uh, so, no, he's at six point six five for another year after this. No chance. Garland is four nine five for another two years. So I mean, hmm. if if they could find a third team and a sweetener for Garland at half off for Vancouver, and then if you can get another team to eat a portion of it with Kako on LTIR, it's doable. And then you'd have to reshuffle things in the offseason, potentially offloading Barkley Goodrow, which I know a big portion of this fan base would love. But Garland, for me, would solve a lot of issues. He gives you depth scoring, third line. He he digs pucks out of the corner. He can play. The, he can be a, a penalty killer. Like there's a lot of good things yeah. that Connor Garland brings. I'm not saying Garland is bad. I'm just saying I preferred Besser. Oh oh yeah, no, uh, I hear you. Uh, I I like I was on the Connor Garland train last year and this past off season. I'm off that now, and the reason is uh, either him or Besser. To be fair. I think the cost, the trade cost, is going to be too much because of the term left. Mm-hmm. And the Rangers don't have many guys that we'd be comfortable with them trading. I think, what, Zach right. Jones and... Maybe Matthew Robertson. It would be Matthew well, Robertson. They, they're going to trade Matthew Robertson. But nobody's going to take two defensemen in a trade like that. They're going to want a forward. Which forward are you willing to trade? Well, definitely not I, Berard. Definitely not Offman. Definitely not Berard. Definitely not Perot. Or Probably not Sakura because he's still like fourteen years old. You'd have to you'd have to get something pretty spectacular, I think, for them to move Sakura. Like yeah, you'd be, you'd be yeah. looking at you'd be looking at the equivalent of like a high first round pick to get Sakura. I think from yeah, anybody. About. Yeah, that seems reasonable, I guess, because I mean he. He he's he's projected, you know, to be basically a second line winger for the most part. See, um, the, the issue I'm having w- with all this is because I know Ranger fans really badly want to see Offman brought up, and I know you guys know okay. where I'm at nope. on this. That I am dead set against Brennan Offman seeing any NHL time this year, unless you uh, guarantee me it's top six minutes. 
Yep. And if there's yep. no guarantee that it's top six minutes, then I, I, I don't. As even though playing on the third line isn't necessarily the end of the world, I just not I, for him. Right. I just not. want him top power play time because he's not going to get that in the NHL. He's not getting top power, power play time here. Yeah. So top power play time in Hartford. Let him play in all situations in Hartford. First line minutes in Hartford. Let him get that seasoning. Like too many times this organization has been, you know, rushing guys to the show and you, you've seen what it's done for development. So I, I am so steadfast on, dude, let this kid marinate. Like mm-hmm. just let it be a slow burn. Don't rush this because if he can be special, you run the risk of screwing this up by pushing him along too fast. Yeah. So you want this to be phases one, two, and three of the MCU, not phases four, five, and six. That's a good way to put it, actually. So I, I so I, I guess with Othman to touch on that, um, yeah, you know, the 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 only way that I could really see it happening this year, and, and it's definitely a viable option in that in that sense, is is you put Blake Wheeler back on the third line and you just pop Brennan Othman up with Mika and Kreider and you just tell them to go. Because not not that Mika and Kreider are, you know, negative or net negatives on the ice, but you know, they're you know, they're coming around a little bit, but you know, outside of maybe a couple of power plays here and there, they're not really driving much. I mean, you know, at least in the scoring department. So what would it hurt to just tell the kid, listen, run rough shot, do whatever the heck you want, and maybe light a fire under both of them because he seems like he could be a play driver. And you know, you got Mika who can pass a puck through, you know, you know, through a you know, through a small hole in the door, you know, and and Kreider just parks himself in front of the net. And you got Othman who can go into the corners and be dirty with a wicked wish with a rick oh uh, gosh, I can't even trouble there, killer. With a wicked wrist. No, no, you're good. No, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, babe. I appreciate that. I'm trying to say wicked wrist, though, but I'm I'm trying not to make it sound like I'm from Boston because I'm not. Uh, So that that to me, that to me is the only way that I think, you know, Othman should be up here is if they just said, listen, like just like what the senators did with Tim Stutzla. He said, here, just go and do whatever the heck you want. And he was terrible defensively for like two years, but he ended up figuring it out. All right. So one more thing before we conclude this podcast here today. So now, you know, Adam Fox just returned. He looks like he's doing pretty well. The team seems to be kind of rounding out a little bit. But one, And we mentioned this just a little bit prior. You know, I know Nick brought it up. So concern for Igor and then also factoring Jonathan Quick. So obviously we know Jonathan Quick's preseason was, you know, not the most to be desired, but the you know, switch was flipped, comes into the regular season and is absolutely killing it. Ben Wilaire used his magic to fix him and now he's killing it for his, you know, hometown team. So we've seen a couple of clunkers from Igor. Let's not, you know, let's not, you know, kid ourselves here, but he's still good. You know, I think I've seen a lot of discourse online where you know, I mean, and then again, this is this is online after all, you know, whether it's Twitter or Instagram. So you always have to take it with a grain of salt. But a lot of the discourse that I've noticed is that people aren't really happy with the way Igor is playing. And some of it is justified because there's a couple of soft goals that he's led in here and there. But then again, he is only human. But I think what what we've a lot of Ranger fans tend to forget is that 
even when our best goalie in Igor is having a bad night, he's still better than almost 99% of the other goalies in the league. I said the same thing about Henrik Lundqvist. You know, Lundqvist was, you know, even in the last season he was here, he wasn't that great. An uh, off night for Henrik Lundqvist is probably a stellar night for like Stuart Skinner or Jack Campbell in Edmonton or like James Reimer, you know? So that being said, and I'll toss this to Nick to start. Is there concern for Igor in the sense that we should be worried? Do we give Jonathan Quick more reps? Do we kind of space Igor out? Because Igor seems like the kind of guy that he does well with more reps. And you, know, you could talk about the system and how they're suppressing shots. And, you know, he maybe not be getting the reps that he should. Oh, no, that's should a goalie be... thing. All goalies do better when they just. Well, yeah, them. right. But, um, is are should we be concerned for Igor and do we give Jonathan Quick more reps? Should we be concerned for Igor? I, I, I can say this very, very um confidently. Hell to the naw. Because he he's just he's one of those guys, he's done it now at every level he's ever played at. You know, he's he's a known commodity. So you know, even if he starts slow, I kind of look at him the same way I look at Hank. Slow start, but he'll get it. He'll get it, you know, turned around. I, I'll never mm-hmm. worry about him in a big moment just because he's shown me that he can handle it. I I will say I think Quick has deserved getting more more run here. I mean, coming into the season when Chris and I did our uh, our prediction show, he asked me if we were going to get 25 starts from a backup Ranger goalie. And I, and I said, and I said it very confidently then, um, not from one guy because I really did not think we were gonna get this Jonathan Quick. So he shut me up. I'm eating crow. He's look. He mm. looks like 2013 Jonathan Quick, and it, it's it's been a godsend because Igor getting banged up. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago it, with Igor banged up, I would have been very hesitant on who to turn to. Mm-hmm. So because I would not have wanted to go to Georgia for a long stretch. So I, I feel very confident now with Quick being at the level he's at that he'll come in, he'll give us a really good night. He'll give up a goal, maybe two, and he'll give us a chance to win. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely think he's earned uh, more trust from us and, and the organization. So I, I have no issue with him getting more playing time. Plus, it'll keep Igor fresh for the playoffs. I mean, mm-hmm. once once we get to New Year's, then I would like it to be more of the you know seventy thirty Igor, because yeah. then you'll get him in tune, ready to go. Playoffs won't be a bother, and he should be relatively healthy. Right, and just to point out before I go to you, Dave, when you talk about Georgiev, you know, you know, we we had that you know that great dilemma of is it Igor, is it. Georgiev is it Lundqvist at the time and you know once once it really became evident that it was going to be Igor's team and Lundqvist was going to take the back seat you know you notice the dip in the dip in production with um you know with uh Georgiev and uh you know that's certainly not the case here with uh Igor right now so Dave your thoughts on on the whole goalie situation so two things that aren't being discussed mainstream first is League average for goaltenders. This year, it's a 908 save percentage. That's, again, from Valley in that same interview that I was talking about earlier. 
908 is the league average. Shesterkin's, what, 918, 920, somewhere around that? I don't have Just it in front not- of me. I, so think the other night, I think last night before Detroit, he was 916, I want to say. So he, there you go. He's well above league average, and that's with a couple of clunkers. So no worries about Igor. And the second, which is more of a he's human thing, he, how old, how long ago did he have his first kid? I remember that being was reported. At the beginning of the year, I want to say, or maybe the beginning of last season, but the kids barely won. Yeah. So. so let's call the kid 10 months to 12 months. Unless he got a miracle baby, like my first one, who was just sleeping 12 hours a night from like four months old, <laughs> the dude probably hasn't gotten a good night's sleep since that kid was born. It's probably the same for Mika, too. Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot about that. Because he just had like, his kid. Babies don't sleep. I I love my <laughs> second born. She is just an absolute joy to be around when she's awake. But when she's asleep, she's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just make sure she doesn't I'm, hear this podcast when she grows up. <laughs> I mean, listen up. I'm not one of those parents that's going to be like, no, no, you were amazing. I'll tell her, listen, you were a dick when you were sleeping because my parents told me, and this is a true story, (laughs) a verifiable fact. You can ask Becky because she had this conversation with my mother too. I was supposed to be, I was the second child. I was supposed to be number two of three. I do not have a younger sibling because I was such an asshole as a kid, as a baby, that my both of my parents were like fuck this noise, we're done. <laughs> and my mom reminds me of that somewhat regularly. <laughs> so well, when younger one gets a little older, and you know, I'm aware that she's able to take a joke if I raised her properly, she'll have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Then I will tell her this. But back on point, I am assuming. Igor has a terror child because most of them are. That probably means he hasn't been sleeping well and his best sleep is probably on the road. So let's cut him some slack. He's still well above league average. He's still one of the best goalies in the league. He Mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, the best goalie in the league, but I'm also biased. Um, Vasilevsky has not been Vasilevsky this year, so I think it's really no. just Igor. Yeah. And let's just let him get some sleep and figure it out. Same with Zibanejad. Let the new dads kind of figure it out. Let's get off of the, oh my God, they're robots and they should be playing hockey 24-7 and they should be able to adjust to any system very quickly. They should be able to play for any coach. Blah, 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 blah. They're not fucking robots. No. All right, I'm a project manager. Right now, I'm a project manager. If I were to switch industries, I wouldn't be able to apply my current industry's knowledge to my to my next industry. That's just not how that works. Right. I would need time. They need time. That's how that works. That is a fantastic point because I'll, I'll tell you what, going from working with kids to being a restaurant manager, not the easiest transition it was it took me a, a hot minute to and i'm still getting used to a lot of stuff i mean 
the the only similarity that I have is the fact that you know I'm working with dealing with different personalities. Outside of that, it's learning a bunch of new information as quickly as possible. It, it it's like the same exact thing. So basically, in a nutshell, no need to worry, and we're gonna cut the dude some slack. And maybe we yeah. should take that and also apply it to Mika's advantage ad because, you know, like we said, he just had his kid and maybe that's probably, maybe he also has a terror child too. Who knows? You know, you know we very... should apply that to life in general, but I don't in want general. to preachy. <laughs> well, that is true. That That's definitely true. So I definitely don't have a concern for Igor, although there's, you know, I am a fan. So sometimes I do get annoyed when I see certain goals that I think a goalie should make a save. But then again, I am behind the computer and I'm not on the ice. So I tend to get over it pretty quickly. So I'm, I'm glad that we're all on the same consensus there. And I know Igor will be fine. With that being said, I think that wraps up our program for today, gentlemen. Uh, we want to thank everyone who's taken the time out of the list. We don't have any questions today. I don't think we uh, sought out them yet. We'll definitely have questions the next time around. And we'll definitely have Rob and Becky back on at some point. You know, we missed them. and We'll see them soon. And uh, let's just hope the Rangers can continue to, you know, continue to kill it. Because if there's one thing that I can count on this, uh, this winter and in this fall, is that I don't have to worry about the New York Jets anymore. Unfortunately, Oof. they don't seem to be making things any better for me. So, and Nick, I know you can understand that as well. I so. I, I certainly feel your pain. <laughs> the worst so. thing is, my boss said to me yesterday. He goes, "Yeah, those Jets. They, they you oh, know, they're just gosh. the quarterback away." I was like, "Dude, I'm like seriously." I'm like, leave yeah. me alone. I'm like, I know you signed my paycheck, so I'm like, I have to watch what I say. But I'm like, please, <laughs> please stop. I'm like, please stop because I'm about to get very angry. Right. <laughs> So before we go, any last thoughts? I'll start with Dave. Any last thoughts about anything with this team? Anything you want to mention? Anything about the Rangers you want to throw out into the ether before we end? It's, I don't have, you know what? It's just nice to see the vibes matching, the results matching the stats. All of it is just so nice to see, isn't it? it is it's just it's glorious 100 percent. nick any final thoughts i i just think that this is one thing you know this is one year where i actually think and i and i truly believe that this team can is is capable there's there is a capability of doing something special now what that means who knows but I think what they've shown, it gives a lot of hope. It breeds a lot of positivity. And just the growth that we've seen from Lafreniere and even Keandre Miller taking the next step, um, it just provides a lot of hope and good feelings moving forward. But I, I really hope that, you know, management and everybody on the team understands, like, that they're, they have the capability of doing something really, really special this year. And hopefully they seize that opportunity and they don't let what's going what's going on right now slip through their fingers. I concur. 
A hundred percent. So again, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the program tonight. Uh, we'll see Rob and Becky here again soon enough, and we'll have a grand old time. And thank you again to everyone who's listening and has listened to the show and continue to not only listen to the program, but also check out the website. We put out a lot of good stuff, you know. So with that being said, everybody have a wonderful either afternoon or evening or wherever you listen to this. And we'll be back next week or maybe another week from now with another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. Thank you again. Have a wonderful day. Let's go Rangers.